We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. The content of this radio show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Welcome to One Soul Radio, an interactive conscious conversation grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome, friends, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. This is the show for you and by you, a virtual community creating conscious conversation and the opportunity to have a place to delve a little bit deeper in your life than you may do on your own. We are offering you a unique perspective from both worlds at the same time. My name is Callie Alpert, coming to you from the central Hudson Valley in New York with my dear friend, co-host and spiritual psychotherapist, Steve Hassenberg on the West Coast. Hey, Callie. Hey, Steve. So nice to see you. So nice to see you and hear you. We have Um, the unfair advantage of seeing each other. Everyone else has to listen to us solely. Unless they watch us on YouTube, exactly coming up. That's right. That's a good teaser. Thanks for that. I'm really excited about the show today. Good. Well, you have a personal stake in this one. Deep, deep stake in this one. Very deep. And uh, I'll be talking about uh, my journey to Teotihuacan with Don Miguel Ruiz Mm -hmm. and spending about, I think, three years with him as part of his posse. Three potent years. Yeah. So with that as our tee-up, today our show is on the four agreements, the wisdom of Don Miguel Ruiz, and plus the special one-of-a-kind, never heard before on radio, twist of Steve Hasenberg's three potent years with Don Miguel, traveling with him, befriending him, studying with him, and having some very trippy far-out experiences and lessons come from it. True. So in his seminal best-selling book, Don Miguel Ruiz reveals ancient Toltec wisdoms to help undo the societal imprints that can obstruct our road to joy and freedom. And yes, our beloved Steve has firsthand stories to share through your unique lens. You're going to discuss, well, I guess together we'll discuss the agreements in a deeper way. You're going to share some of your wild stories and life-altering experiences And we're going to apply the Toltec lessons to everyday life in the name of writing one's own story and embracing one's own truths. So let's start first with um, what the Toltec tradition is, which is Don Miguel's tradition. Um, It's a 15 year old, 15 year old, (laughs) 1500. (laughs) Wow. Um, I'm channeling the younger of many of souls of Don Miguel's 1500 years old, right? And the four agreements is based on the ancient wisdoms that are. Yeah, the the Toltecs uh, were actually one of the great cultures in the world. And by the sixth century AD, the area where they were, um, where they were for probably six, 700 years, was called Teotihuacan. Mm-hmm. Teotihuacan means the place where humans wake up and remember that they are God. Wow. <laughs> so appropriate. <laughs> I know part of, I know some of your experiences there, um, but I didn't realize what that was the literal translation, nor can I pronounce that word as well as you can. So I always just say Teo and I cheat for short. Teotihuacan, as a matter of fact, Teotihuacan was the sixth largest city in the world in the sixth century. Now, is that also when um, other ancient civilizations, was was that before like the Mayans, Incans, Aztecs? The Aztecs came afterwards. Okay. The Mayans came before and after. The Mayans are still happening. Right. Don Miguel is part of the Toltec tradition, but the Toltec, they have these stories about how the, both the Mayans and the Toltecs kind of disappeared in one moment. 
right? Yeah, it's so- fascinating because they still don't know why. You know, I have a special affinity for the Mayan culture because um, I feel like I was there in some lifetime uh-huh. and I also had a love affair with a Mayan man in Mexico many years ago. So I have a special affinity for that culture. Well, we could talk um, about that today. <laughs> no, no, no. We do not need to take away from the, the matters at hand today. Um, but I, I mean, they were all very, they, they talk a lot about the, because uh, there's no definitive explanation yet for how some of those civilizations suddenly sort of died, dispersed, fell off the place of the earth, whether it was their own sort of barbaric implosion with each other, if it was water um, shortages, right? I mean, there's so many different philosophies or like theories on how that happened, right? Could be volcanoes. Mm -hmm. The Atlantean civilization, they think, was swallowed by the ocean. Mm -hmm. The Lemurian civilization was swallowed by the ocean. Mm-hmm. Our civilization may be swallowed soon by the ocean. Yeah, that's the that'll be another show. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you first start resonating with this? How did you? How did you? Before we start breaking sure. um, breaking down the four agreements, how did you come to know Don Miguel and or his work? I don't know which one came first. All right, such an interesting question. Maybe I'll interview I, you today, even though we didn't plan on that. default my want, interview mode. I want to mention a word, which is so interesting. Um, shamans can also be called naguals mm-hmm. in Spanish. Nagual means that which cannot be known. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Beautiful. So he's a nagual. He made me a nagual, too. And uh, ceremony. And so I didn't have this was prior to his fame. So I had no idea who he was. But five months prior to meeting him, I had a lucid dream. And in the lucid dream, I was in Mexico in an adobe house with about three other people. And there were, it was candle lit. And as we sat there, having no idea what was going to happen, this beautiful man came into the room with long flowing black silver hair, with beautiful, gorgeous beads and uh, opulent rings on his fingers. And he sat down in front of us And as he sat down, this fierce wind began to blow through the room. And we were all kind of awed, but in shock and a little scared. And then the wind subsided. And then he said to us, watch me. And as we watched him, he became three figures, then two figures, one figure, and I was Mm -hmm. so moved by this that I went up to him. He took my hand and I said, how did you do this? And he said, you know, what I've done has been as close to you as your beating heart. And I woke up. Wow. And that's a prelude to what what happened five years later. So we can land that story. Right. So five months later, oh, five months later, I'm sorry. It's all right. Five months later, my sister-in-law called and she said, I have a new boyfriend. And I said, great. She said, I'd like to, let's go out to breakfast with him. So she showed up with Don Miguel Ruiz. And so Don Miguel, we were, we drove out to Malibu for breakfast. He was sitting next to me and I thought, well, she said he's a shaman. I'm going to talk to him about my dream. And so I told, he, I said, I want to tell you about a shaman dream I had. He said, tell me everything. And I told him about the dream. He kept saying, what did the guy look like? What was he wearing? What was his presence like? And I told him and I said, well, who was he? And Don Miguel said, you know who he was. And I said, I don't know. Please tell me. He said, you know who he was. I said, I don't. We got to the point like I just screamed at him. And I <laughs> this said, is your just, first date with him too, right? First date. Just tell me who he was. <laughs> he said, he was you. 
And you're coming with me to Mexico next week and you have an appointment with power. <laughs> nice to meet you too. Well, hey, thank just, you very much. Just another Sunday brunch in your world. <laughs> so we're going to get to, I mean, I love that story. I love all, I love all your stories and your Don Miguel stories have a special magic and potency. So we're going to share more of those throughout the course of the show. I just want to say also, if anybody would like to call in, share their relationship with this beautiful seminal book that so many people know, The Four Agreements, uh, any questions that you may have, please feel free to call us, join the conversation at 816-251-3555. So shall we start with one of the agreements we're going to try to, um, you know, this, this book is so widely known. I, I'm going to gather most people that are attracted to listening to the show today are familiar. So what we're going to aim to do beyond weave Steve's stories throughout and his personal perspective is to maybe just offer a little bit fresh perspective on each of them or how you can maybe land them in a new way, or just to remind us all of these beautiful fundamentals. I know I always need reminding. Um, so the first one is to be, and we might not, we're not going in any particular order. Frankly, I don't know if the order we, we wrote these notes is the order of the book. I didn't check. It is. It is? Okay. Thanks for that. Um, so the first one is be impeccable with your word, mm-hmm. right? So what comes under the, the subheadings underneath being impeccable with your word are everything from speaking with integrity to saying, and we added and doing what, um, only what you mean so that your behaviors, your actions, and your words are truly aligned with who you are, what you represent, and what your truth is, and also to avoid using words against yourself or other people. Um, So I know that you and I both have a history of not doing that really well, (laughs) right? And I think it comes in the form, you know, often when we hear that, like, um, I think on the surface, one of the go-to interpretations of this is don't be mean don't spew out words that are nasty or judgmental try to be kind with your intention of what you express but it's also about your word with yourself your inner narratives the way you talk about yourself the way you judge yourself I mean I think it's all really interrelated so we just want to keep it as 360 right um so how did you relate to this well let me give you a tad bit of background yeah Not just about me, but if you think of the Toltec civilization and you go through these four agreements, which is where it came from. So it's not like Don Miguel made this up. It's he may live it. Right. But these were uh, kind of ethical and moral codes from that civilization back in the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth century. And when we look at it that way, and they say impeccability with the word, and we think of our culture, you begin to have some feeling of the difference. Mm. So their highest standards Mm -hmm. are in these four agreements. Impeccability with the word, um, for me, when I first heard it, I thought, wow, I haven't been doing that very well. <laughs> I know, nor, nor me, I know, I know. Because, because as our listeners know, I've been, not anymore, but I have been the world's greatest placator, the greatest pleaser, which I learned uh, rigorously mm-hmm. in my childhood. And um, I try to please everybody and 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 try to fulfill their needs while not fulfilling my own. Right. So this is not impeccability with the word. Right. And it's such an important way to look at this too, you know, again, because there's so many different versions of what impeccability means. First of all, just going back to what you said, I love that they, the Toltec tradition uh, holds these very, na- like very stripped down. I mean, the way this book and Don Miguel um, relayed this out into the world is so stripped down and it's really great to just go back and just to be reminded you know um and i love the fact that it kind of holds a high standard in a culture and a society and a civilization i just think that's so beautiful it just gorgeous a whole right other i don't know a whole other level of it's not just about you know us as individuals trying to be good people the idea that it's almost like a, a social norm or more to me is quite beautiful and powerful 
Um, yeah, I've, I was really good. I'm, I still can be good at it. I've gotten a lot better at not being good at it. <laughs> um, you know, especially like placating boyfriends and not even play. I don't even know if that's the right word, but just not speaking my own truth or my own needs, making it much more about their needs and their truths and making way more space for that than my own. And then ultimately, you know, historically it always imploded on me because I knew inside it didn't feel right, but I didn't have any tools to recognize or have some witnessing of what I was doing. Um, I think for me, one of the other challenges that I, and I experience this a lot because maybe now I'm the opposite um, is of really always wanting, <laughs> you know, this well with me for better or worse, because I take you through this too is that I really like to keep things extremely clean, like all the time, as much mm -hmm. as possible with everyone in my life mm -hmm. um, in terms of where our space is at. You know, mm -hmm. if anything sort of sits in discomfort or murkiness or ickiness or lack of understanding, it's really uncomfortable place for me to be often. Mm -hmm. And also my intention is, it, my intention is pure. It's to just keep everything as healthy and open and transparent as possible. But it doesn't get well received often. Uh -huh. It scares, it scares people, or maybe it comes too early in, you know, relationship, or maybe it's too much on the wrong day. I don't know. Um, but that's hard. That's hard for me when you want to be impeccable with your word and your intention. And then it's, there's no like receptivity for it or, or you're at least in different spaces with that. How do you deal with that? Well, I, you know, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking a lot has to do with timing. Right. Right. So yeah, that's true. all of as we go through this list, it's important for everyone to remember that this is a big ask. Mm -hmm. Every agreement <laughs> is a very big ask. Mm -hmm. And uh, it does represent indigenous standards. Uh, you know, we always talk about the indigenous people and uh, most of those cultured cultures had very very high spiritual standards which we have unfortunately lost right, right. and Hopefully we're uh, moving back in that direction because the materials you know imploding being shown to us that it might not work maybe we don't want to be as attached to it as we thought we did exactly you and i are good at holding these standards Right? We do our best, and that's the fourth the fourth agreement. Mm -hmm. We do our best with them. And um, <laughs> thanks for that, by the way. A little meta with the four agreements. We're going to do our best with the four agreements. Right. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. We'll have to talk about that more when we get to that one. Um, I just wanted to say, I, I'm going to keep throwing in these things that are so interesting. So the, the Toltec culture was a culture of um, enlightened priests and common people. Everybody in the culture was on a spiritual path. There were different levels of that spiritual path represented by different, there are seven different architectural aspects of Teotihuacan both courtyards and pyramids and um, <clears throat> the Jaguar Palace, which I'll talk about. And as people graduated with this knowledge, this wisdom, they would go from one aspect to the other till they get to the seventh level, mm -hmm. which was symbolized by the Pyramid of the Sun. Mm -hmm. There was the Pyramid of the Moon, Pyramid of the Sun, Jaguar Palace. And so this was a culture, maybe like with Plato or Socrates, that was progressing and developing spiritually as they lived Gosh. in this ancient time. Wow. I just, I never thought about it like that. I probably, it's, I don't know enough about Teo, but I just like that visual, that concept could make, that makes me cry almost. The gorgeous? idea that that was such a palpable part of their everyday life, the idea of that sort of graduation and priority of your spiritual nature and spiritual trajectory as a conscious, active, collective societal thing is just really powerful. That's Isn't powerful. it? Wow. I love that. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
makes me wish we had more of that, but we can do what we, what we can do, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, was there anything else you wanted to say about that? Well, something you'd be interested in. Um, there was a, uh, a, a section for women and it was kind of a um, deep cave uh, bath. Uh, there was water in the cave. It was almost like a women's baptism. Mm. And we, had, we were able to go in there and see it. It was very dark. It was very moist. <laughs> Appropriate. Right? Appropriate metaphor. Mm -hmm. And it was the place where women took on their role of the sacred feminine. Wow. And they were initiated there by the priests. I mean, you just right? can't. Yes, I know. <laughs> just hearing about your time, as much as I thought I knew about this whole thing, I'm learning a lot, even just listening to these right. references. So, so beautiful. Wow. So in terms of kind of takeaways before we move on to the second right. agreement um, and the way we could maybe offer a little bit of a fresh spin would be that think we were both in agreement that when you can create a little bit more space to witness your thoughts and feelings, you can be more impeccable, right? We talk a lot on the show about space with everything, with all of our, with reactions, with our thoughts, with our observations of ourselves. just creating, that's part of what mindfulness and meditation is all about. And it applies, certainly applies here, right? That it kind of correlates to the idea of being impeccable with your word. If you can take a minute to breathe in between what your mind stream is saying and what your mouth wants to express, would that be a good, good suggestion for our listeners? Yeah. They say, take a breath, mm -hmm. take a mindful breath. Mm -hmm. And the way we've always defined mindfulness on our show is take a step back for a minute. Yeah. yeah. Take a look at what you're thinking. Take a look at what you want to say. Evaluate it. See if it's honest or authentic, real for you. And then go on and say it. So that would be closer. Impeccability of, of the word is a very progressive thing. Incremental, takes time. You have to start slowly. And um, maybe at some point in your life, you'll get to pure authenticity. And it's just, just the idea of having the intention. Right. Really. I mean, I could go on just on this one. We're going to move on to the next, but I'm just thinking of so many people I hear that are constantly criticizing themselves out loud. That in and of itself could be something where you put a dollar in the jar, you know, I mean, just to, just to start catching yourself. But um, yeah. the idea is at least to start thinking about these things and becoming a little bit more actively aware. So the second one we'll jump into um, is don't take anything personally. This is a hard one for most, most of us humans right? That nothing others do is because of you. Um, that it's very natural that, you know, most of us have defensiveness and security reactivity. It is our human nature. And that as soon as somebody's doing something around us or not doing something around us, often it's because of us. I mean, you know, I know I've been really good at this over my life as well. This person's not smiling today, it must be because of X, Y, and Z, or, you know, I mean, it's really, it's, it's definitely one that I think is really common for a lot of people. It's common for uh, almost everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we talked, you and I talked about this the other day, that there's a word, two words in psychology that kind of sum this up. And the words are field dependence Yes. And field independence. Mm -hmm. And they're great words. So field dependence means that you're depending on your environment for your identity. That could be your job, your family, your social status, who you know, and other people are very, very important when we're worried about our status, when we're worried about the way we dress very important. On the other hand, field independence is much more autonomous and independent, and you don't care as much. And usually people who are field independent are much more developed, mature, they've worked on themselves, and they're not looking to the outside to verify who they are. 
So important. And then there's everybody in the middle, which is most of us to some degree, right? Yep. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> Raise your hand in the front row. Um, raising our hands. The other thing too about this one that I often um, question is the other side of the, the spectrum on this, which is that I also am a big believer in taking ownership of your stuff and not putting, you know, some people run the risk of putting everything on someone else. So there's a distinction there that I think we're going to have to maybe spend a little bit of time on too, which is where is the line between um, not taking anything personally and separating yourself out and being completely field interdependent, but also taking responsibility and accountability for your stuff. I think that's important. And there's also something called disassociation where you're so field independent because you're afraid of the field and you don't want to have anything to do with it. I would like to get better at that. (laughs) That's my, that's going to be my new year's resolution in January. I want to get better at that. Um, So we're talking about (laughs) kidding, but every once in a while, not kidding. We're talking about the four agreements. We're going to hear more stories from Steve. We're going to cover the other agreements. We're going to offer some action steps and do our as much justice as we can to Don Miguel Ruiz. And we will be right back. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to One Soul Radio with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome back, everyone, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. We are talking about the four agreements honoring our teacher and friend, Don Miguel Ruiz, talking about each of the four agreements, hopefully with a little bit of a fresh spin, or at least just a way to kind of ground them and anchor them into your daily life. And my favorite part of the show, perhaps, um, is Steve's stories that he's able to share out of the years um, that he was friends, student of, apprentice, honorary Nagual, traveling with Don Miguel, learning from him. So before we get to Steve's next story, I just want to make sure that we um, wrap up the idea of that distinction between, we were talking about the second agreement of not making um, assumptions. I'm sorry, not um, t- don't take anything personally. And I wanted to make the distinction between um, how nothing is because of you and somebody else does something, it's not because of you, but also making sure that we take accountability and really own our stuff as much as we can without disassociating or attaching it solely to somebody else. So how do we make that distinction, psychotherapist sensei? Well, here's the thing. The distinction has to be made through inner work. I mean, you can do it intellectually, but it's not easy. The, The distinction is made as we resource ourselves more and more And as we overcome a lot of the narratives that are negative about ourselves, and as we do that, we become less and less dependent on others. And so we can kind of see through, that's Mm -hmm. the best word, Mm -hmm. see through where other people are, what their motives are, what their fears are, and understand that those things belong to them. And the right. thing that Don Miguel was always fond of saying is that most everything belongs to everybody. <laughs> right. Separately, we're all in our <laughs> own sep- silos. So we only own our reactions to art, right? Right. Everything belongs to everybody. Mm-hmm. And we're taking everything that belongs to everybody and making it our own. Oh, I see. I was, I was twisting that (laughs) in the wrong way. Okay. No, it's all what you said is true too. So as you get more, as you go deeper into yourself, 
you become more sovereign. And in that sovereignness, you become automatically more autonomous and independent. But that takes time. And we're all at different places. Everybody's right. at a different place. That's what makes the world a beautiful and crazy, <laughs> the crazy place that it is. Yeah, it's true. We all are made the exact same way. We all want the same like three to five bottom line things. Don't we? And then we muck it up with all these stories and narratives and as Don Miguel would say, our indoctrinations. And then we have to sort of unlearn that and let it so go. So true. Unwind from it. And I just want to say one more piece about this and then I want to hear your um, next story. Um, you know, I spent, I didn't even, I didn't know when I was younger that I was defensive. In fact, I don't even remember as a kid. I was too busy trying to survive in our household. Um, I certainly learned how defensive I was when I started be, being you know, being in relationships with men and um, they would call me out on something. We'd have an argument about something. I could never hear it, never own it. Um, and as I started to get into my own therapeutic work and spiritual work and then um, created more space and try to, and a lot of it had to do with building up a level of self-compassion and self-love that you get to the place where I'm you know, much closer now than I've ever been where it's much harder to um, have your, your cord struck and triggered, which again, I certainly am not saying I'm without by any stretch, but so much less so than many years ago, because my, my own wholeness is much more mine. And I say it just because it's really an amazing, beautiful thing. If you just simply decide to make it a priority to start filling in your own heart and your own holes and gaps and wounds with your own love, you know, and your own, um, self-compassion, it's amazing uh, how there, so much more dilutes, so much of the latter dilutes and sort of dissipates and vaporizes. It reminds me cool, of the right? fact that when I was in high school, um, I had to wear Brooks Brothers clothing <laughs> in order to feel adequate. Mm. And nobody wore Brooks Brothers clothing um, <laughs> in high school. I think I was kind of acting out my previous life in, in London. But um, I, if I didn't have my Brooks Brothers stuff, I would feel woefully inadequate. Mm. <laughs> and sometimes I'd make excuses not to go to school. Oh, I made excuses to not go to school, too, because I was going to be horrible at, like, gym class. <laughs> Um, but anyway, that's very precious. And I know yeah. you're not like that anymore. No, you dress very nicely. I'm sure you don't care about that stuff anymore the way you did. I have transcended Brooks Brothers. So would you like to share your next Don Miguel story um, before we get to the other two? Yeah. And, and so he told me you have an appointment with power, which turned me on tremendously. <laughs> And Given then, that big old ego of yours back then, right? And then we got home from our breakfast. And I told Don, well, I told Don Miguel before he left, I said, I'll see you next week. My wife gasped. And she said, you're not going to Mexico next week, are you? A, we didn't have much money. I said, yeah, I think I have to go. Because he said I would understand my entire history there. And anyway, I went to Mexico. And uh, during our first day there, Don Miguel took me into what's called the Palace of the Jaguar. The Palace of the Jaguar was the place where the priests live during the sixth century when they were guiding people through these different levels of spiritual attainment. And he said, I'm going to take you to the room where you lived. And I was like, well, okay. And we went down a long flight of stairs into this very dark kind of subterranean basement. And we got to this room and it was pitch black. And he said, just look into that room and tell me what you see. And I, you know, I stood there looking, looking. I said, no, Miguel, there's nothing in here. It's just black. He said, just look with your other eyes. I didn't know what that meant. And all of a sudden, I saw this spinning light from the back of the room coming toward me. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger. 
And then it just absolutely entered me. And I was filled with this just sublime, overwhelming love that was so strong that I started weeping and I was crying so hysterically out of happiness mm. that I couldn't stand and I fell on the floor and it was a stone floor and it was rather hard and I fell on it. And as I fell, I tried to break my fall with my right hand. And as I was going through this experience of sublime love, divine love, I realized that my hand was touching a sandal. And I thought, that was like outrageous. And I looked up to this body and a face looking down at me and the face was Jesus Christ. Wow. And in that moment, I was taken into heaven and I felt everything heavenly about my earth experience. And I realized why I was born. And I realized what I was going to do here, but I was experiencing it all from a heavenly state. Mm. And I was crying so much and on the floor kind of writhing <laughs> that the guards, the old guards <laughs> outside of these, these architectural monuments, came running toward me shouting medical 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 and Don Miguel and three other men carried me out of the Jaguar palace and the guards were saying did he have a heart attack and Don Miguel was screaming at them that he didn't have a heart attack he had this incredible experience <laughs> and there I wow. was being held by Don Miguel in heaven with the sun coming down and having just experienced Jesus and wow, an experience of a lifetime. So quickly, when you tell that story now, how does it feel right now to read? It still it? brings tears it? to my eyes. It was so, it was so powerful. Just so powerful. Beautiful. Yeah. It's hard to top that. Should we just forgo the rest of the show? <laughs> I mean, it's really, it's so powerful. It's just really, um, that's not even a one in a lifetime. That's like an otherworldly, it's very precious and special experience. And I know you won't say it, but at the end of the show today, we'll talk about the um, beautiful short story that you wrote that's published on Audible. If anybody wants to hear more of a, the longer mm -hmm. version of it and read it, it's really, really beautiful. Um. So let's talk about the other two agreements. The third one, don't make assumptions. I think this one is so important. I mean, they're uh -huh. all important, but this one also hits home on such deep levels. So some of the subheadings or uh, sub thoughts under don't make assumptions is to communicate clearly. Don't write stories in your head, which we're all really good at, or I should speak for myself. I'm really good at Um Often writing a story in our head is the way we're wired to keep us safe and in familiar territory, even though it can be like the death of us and not the wisest thing to do. It's sort of this reflex that's deeply ingrained, often karmically as well. Um, we write the stories often before we even have the experience. So to just sort of remember these things and be a little more mindful of it. Um, and as you've said, that assumptions are grounded in fear and hatred, right? I mean, assumptions now are very taken on a whole other level, even in our country, politically and societally and culturally, um, where people are constantly looking at someone, they blink the wrong way, they have the wrong bumper sticker, and a whole story and assumption is made about them. It doesn't mean that we're off sometimes by certain things that are sort of stereotypic, but it also means that we are um, really just projecting our own fear of the other rather than giving them a chance or having a conversation or asking them the why they dress that way or have that flag hanging out of their car window or what I'm just, you know, giving silly examples, but. Uh, something we mentioned on a previous show, which comes to mind, which is that in sociology, there are four different levels. One level is egocentric. Second level is eth ethnocentric. Mm -hmm. Third level is world-centric. Mm -hmm. And the fourth level is unity. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. We all know what egocentric is. Ethnocentric, when I looked it up, it said 70% of the people in the world now are ethnocentric. 70%? Meaning 70. Wow. My, my group, better than your group. Mm-hmm. Right, my, wrong. My gender, better than your gender. My religion, better than your religion. My dog, better than your cat. <laughs> and um, the 70%. Wow. So in terms of making assumptions, it's going on all the time. Wow. And like you, you've said several times, hatred, which is sort of implicit in what you're describing, is really just unachieved love. If we were all able to stop ourselves again, take a breath, and instead of writing a story about someone else, we took a minute to look at ourselves and what it is that's motivating us to have that judgment or that assumption, um, perhaps the world would be a better place. But I mean, how do we start? You know, again, what does that come down to? Does it still come down to stopping and creating space and being more mindful it sounds like a cliche but that's most of what everything we talk about comes down it to. really is <laughs> and you know stopping to remember that there's a wonderful sh- uh, movie on netflix right now about the four four normal humans that have just gone around uh, into orbit around the earth for two days and um the idea that the way they came back with the way that William Shatner just came back from outer space, they all had the same experience. William Shatner came back from uh, Jeff Bezos mm-hmm. uh, in orbit mm-hmm. and he was crying. Mm-hmm. That was and precious, he, that whole thing. And, and he said he was crying because this thin blue line, mm. which is our atmosphere. Yep protects us from this infinite black space and this infinity and this fragility of the earth was so strong that he couldn't speak. If we can remember that even for an instant, that we are circling around the sun, that we are part of billions of galaxies and we're here as a gift from our soul, from the goddess, from the gods, and that we're here in order to treat everybody with love. And to recognize that we're all doing it together. We're all actually having the exact same experience. And again, we just color it and write these narratives and indoctrinate ourselves with these stories that are really not true in the purest form. But if only we could remember, I wish I could remember a lot more often than I do. Please remember yeah. And what do they say in the Toltecs? Remember means the members of ourself being woven back together so we become whole. Ah, beautiful. That was really good. That's a nice, nice remembrance. Thank you for that. And a nice segue. <laughs> Um, was there anything else we wanted to say about assumptions before we move to our final agreement? I'm very chatty today because you got me on my favorite topic. So I can say one other thing. Please say two things. Which I said to my client this morning, who's a screenwriter. I said, when you're writing fiction and fiction is everything that we imagine in the future, in our mind, Mm. write narratives that basically soothe you and support you rather than breaking you down and criticizing you. So in terms of making assumptions and narratives, let's do some that support us. Let's use our imagination in a positive way. Right. That's the other thing. How did we get so far away? Why is it that we we have such powerful imaginations and yet often our imaginations toward the hopeful, the faithful, the positive is superseded by what seems to be more familiar, which is the narratives and assumptions we make um, in our mind streams that are negative or challenging. Why, you know, we're, we're really good at that. I'm not sure why that is. We're so good at protecting ourselves from the world, the moment. 
And from the higher, from source, which, mean, which really desires for all of us to have a really damn good time. And for whatever reason, we've unlearned that and forgotten that. And then bringing it back to this agreement, we start to write these stories that really aren't true and making assumptions about ourselves and other people. And there we are. Um, and the fourth one, which is probably the most self-explanatory and probably the easiest to talk about is always do your best. Now, this is something that, you know, we learn as kids when mom and dad, oh, go do your best and make sure you look your best and act your best and do your best at school. Um, but I think that the wider um, definition of this and that what Don Miguel talked about more in the book is really to show up in like your fullest, truest way, like your most authentic way, number one, and also your most well-meaning and most well-intended and most honest way. Is that how you interpret it? I do. And um, again, not so easy, but something to strive for, right? Mm-hmm. So showing up in your best way really brings me to a, the Buddhist concept of learn how to be a good friend to yourself. Mm. So if you're, if you're a good friend to yourself, you'll be a good friend to other people, right? If you're a horrible friend to yourself, more than likely you'll be a horrible friend to others. So... In a way, it's very simple, and in another way, it's very difficult to learn how to be a great supporter, a good mentor, a good teacher, a good friend to yourself. And I guess the, the, the Buddhist statement, or at least the interpretation of that is, would you treat your best friend the way you're treating yourself? Would you say that to your best friend the way you're saying it to yourself? Exactly. It's so, again, so concrete and so easy to understand and yet not our default you know um also before we get to our action steps um i had the pleasure of you know i met uh, miguel a few times and i interviewed him once many years ago um after an event in new jersey and um that was the one thing that that really stood out for me what you just said you know i i probably was asking him the same thing I'm still obsessing about all these years later, like, why are we so good at deviating from the simple things that get us into flow and happiness? And, um, and how do we realign with that flow? And he just put his hand, I think it was like his hand over his heart, something like that, or on his, yeah, I think it was like on his chest or his heart. It just said, um, love yourself, just, you know, be your friend. And like, what, you know, I mean, I understand what that means. I understood what it meant at the time, but I didn't get the full scope of the understanding of that the way I do. And it's coming and stemming from the same thing that you just shared about the, the Buddhist belief system, right? Be a good friend to yourself, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that I've held dear to me for a long, long time, right? Yeah. So before we get to our action steps, I know you're, you're, you might be jumping out of your chair to share another one of your amazing stories. And we can probably have like a, you know, maybe a two minute story if you want to share one. Did you have a, well, you know, after I had that experience in the palace of the Jaguar, was there anything up from there? <laughs> I mean, well, it was actually something. kind of riveting after that. Because I was in an altered state of consciousness, by the way, without any drugs whatsoever. And um, Don Miguel was holding me like a mother for about 45 minutes. And I was in tears and he was a very motherly person, beautiful. And uh, he said, when you, when you can, you and these two other people, I want you to climb the pyramid of the moon. And at that point, I just started laughing hysterically because <laughs> I couldn't even walk, right? Pyramid of the Moon has steps that are so steep that even in, a sobri in sobriety, you can't hardly climb. You have to go up with your hands. Right. Really shallow, too. Really? You've been right, up like there? Once, not there, but I've been to plenty of other um, of those in, 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 you know, indigenous civilizations and their temples and... Um, iconic buildings and it's always universally shallow steps so I got to the top of the pyramid moon Don Miguel was up there and he said I want you to look with your other eyes again and look down all the courtyards from where you've come and I started hearing screams 
screams of humanity. I was overwhelmed again in tears from a completely different perspective of the pain, suffering, and unhappiness of humanity. And I realized that every scream was the distance that people were away from God, from wow. source. The louder the scream, the further they were from source. Wow. And at that, I know we're almost over here. At, at that point, Don Miguel told me later, he said, you could have left then. Left meaning I could have been done with my earth experience, but I had made a decision to take what I learned there at Teotihuacan, take it home and try to be of service to humanity. Beautiful. So powerful. We might have to do a second show so we can really follow up on this. I'm going to jump into our action steps. Yeah. I hate to so quickly segue away. I just want to make sure that we get everything in. First agreement for be impeccable with your words. Select a person in your life that you're not communicating with truthfully. Write down why you're afraid of being impeccable with that person and think about if your fear is justified or not. Number two, if you feel comfortable with facing your fear, tell that person what you really think. Be impeccable. Thirdly, don't take anything personally. We take so many things personally that don't belong to us. So try to write down three things that you've taken personally that you want to let go of. And finally, in terms of not making assumptions, because we all do, if you have a few that you'd like to throw into the trash bin of history, can you identify them by writing them down on a small piece of paper and then burn them ritualistically? So we're going to put these action steps on um, our... Instagram, as we always do um, after the show, so you'll be able to see those. And I will repeat them super quickly one more time. With impeccable with your words, select a person in your life where you're not communicating truthfully. Think about and write down why you're afraid. And then secondly, if you feel comfortable facing your fear, tell that person what you think. Thirdly, in terms of not taking anything personally, try to think about three things that you've taken personally that you want to let go of. And finally, with assumptions, do you have some assumptions that you've made that you want to write down, ritualistically burn, and purge them from your consciousness forever? So those are our offerings today. What a rich, I could listen to your stories forever, and we hope that we've offered people a little bit more of a special perspective. I want to thank everybody for listening to us. You can find us on Instagram, at One Soul Radio, Facebook, One Soul Radio Podcast, we're going to start up our YouTube channel very, very soon. And this will be our first show. Steve, where is your story? It can be found in the name of it on Audible. Journey to Teotihuacan on Audible and Amazon. And if you want to see my interview with Don Miguel Ruiz, just, um, just Google YouTube, my name and Don Miguel Ruiz. It'll pop up next week. The five love languages. Join us again. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.